Hello, hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Atlantic, season two, episode nine, I'm pretty sure. You'll notice someone is missing from today's episode, and that is Hillary. Hillary is unfortunately out with a migraine, so we're letting her rest today, and she'll be back in full force for next week. Uh, as a substitute, we have our guest host over here, Mo Davis, chiming in. Hello. And uh, a very special guest this evening that we're looking very forward to speaking with, Akila Ray. So without further ado, Let's get it poppin'. <laughs> We're going to introduce uh, Mo Davis uh, because she's a guest host, uh, and I believe yeah, she was she was a guest on. Uh, season one for one of our episodes and we have her back for another one and then we're going to get into our, our main guest Akila Ray after that. So first of all Mo Davis, why don't you let the listeners know a little bit about who you are. Well hello everybody. As many of you probably can assume we have a similar last name. I am Clinton's wife. Um, I also have uh, my own podcast with a few co-hosts called We Can Fight Like Cats If We Have To. Um, and I'm also the founder of the Human Voice Foundation, an advocacy organization, uh, nonprofit that advocates for human rights and anti-discrimination, especially in the case of racism. Amazing. Thank you so much for that intro. Uh, and you. as listeners will find out later on in the episode, there's also a connection between Sally and our guest, Akila Ray. Uh, but without further ado, and I think I already said that earlier on uh, in this episode, it's been it's been one of those technical difficulty episodes, but uh, we're getting through it. And I think I think knock on wood, I think we're going to be good this time, although I probably just jinxed it. Uh, Akila Ray, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest on our episode for the, you know, the final week of Black History Month. Um, it's always amazing to speak to different people from the Maritimes, New Brunswick, young people, people of all ages, people in different fields, just to get a little bit more of an understanding of, of what it's like to be Black out here in the Maritimes. So we are going to get into that. Um, Akila Ray, I know you're a high school student, but I won't tell too much of your story. I'll let you tell the viewers. Um, who you are, what you've been up to, some of your experiences, and we will go from there. So, Akila Ray, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and who you are? My name is Akila Mustard. I was born and raised in my to Bernice Bang Um I live with my mom, my dad. I have quite a few siblings. I'm not going to get into how many because it's like over five. A lot of family members. Okay, so you have a big family out here. Are, are, there, are most of your family members here in in Moncton uh, or in New Brunswick or? Most of, okay. of them are. Right. It's not. Anyone, anyone like a threat in like Nova Scotia or PEI anywhere else? No. Okay, and uh, you said your your dad passed away recently. Um, yeah. Certainly very sorry to hear about that. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we might get into that a little bit later if, if you feel comfortable. If not, that, that's, that's going to be completely up to you. But um, I mean, you were born in Moncton. Like, like where are your roots? Where, where are your parents from, if you, if you don't mind us asking? Are, are they both from born in New Brunswick or? Um, my dad's from Jamaica and my, my mom is born in Born here? Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So are you are you like me a little bit? Are you um are you interracial? Are you half black, half white? Are, are both your parents? Yeah. Ah, I didn't uh, know that. I didn't. I yeah. Didn't realize that. Okay, that's amazing. Um, I don't know if you mentioned this is our second take of recording this. Uh, the first time it, it didn't go so well, but I don't know if you already mentioned this, but you said you went to Bernice McNaughton, right? Um, what has yeah. that experience been like for you? As a as a person of color at that school, started off good until I kind of started realizing things that started going on within the school, and which is why I, I started taking a stand to try to make change and talk to the principal. With of course Sally's help, who helped me and guided me through kind of figuring out what to. So thank you on that. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Um, Sally, do you have some questions? Um, I'm just wondering, like, did it, did the um, realization or did the issues occur more in high school? Did they start before that? Um, I only had one issue when I was a kid, and that would probably be lying out with me because I looked dirty, is what they said. And that was because of the color of my skin, which was like as a kid I didn't really understand that yet until I was like whoa that wasn't okay but like at that time it's like your kids really have the proper understanding it but you should still be taught it by your parents yeah yeah kids definitely say all kinds of things do all kinds of things it can be mean yeah. and cruel and there's always bullies at every school but You'd think in general, um, there'd be a common, what age was this? You, you think there'd be a common sense that it's not okay to call someone else dirty I'd, because of the color of their skin? I think it was around quite young. I'm definitely so. sorry to hear about that as well. Um, I'm sorry and I'm not surprised. Stick with you for a lifetime, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, what prompted you to go to the principal? Like why, why, why did you, decide you, what made you, so that happened in your childhood, what made you decide you had to start speaking out about things, racism? So year year has been kind of difficult. I had friends who had called me the N-word that I am no longer friends with. And my number out to people who could call me that as well. Um, and then I realized a lot also getting very comfortable with saying the N-word within songs or just making jokes or you because they think it's funny and it's okay. Like it has some different meaning is what they said. And I have a younger sister who it's her first year in high school and it's like, I wanna help you never to ever have to go through some of the things that I've been through. So it's like that really pushed to make that change just to make a better environment for all of the new youth coming in. Oh. Um, I, Wow, I'm sorry that uh, it crossed the line even into friendship because that is really hard when discrimination gets into friendship. And I imagine there must have been a conversation at some point where you said, you know, this is not appropriate. And, and there must have been resistance, I would have gather, because it led to um, to the end of the friendship. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like? What was your approach? How, how do you feel it was received when you tried to discuss it? And, and what is the general impression you are getting from the reaction people are giving you when you say, you know, this is not okay. It's 
it's really hard to speak up, honestly. I go, I live in the place, and I notice every time I say something, I get called, oh, you're why can't you be chill about it? It's not that big of a deal. So it's like, it's really hard. Part of the time when I stand up for myself, I don't, don't have many people who will have my back. Because a lot of that big deal, why are you making a big deal out of this? So it's like, it made me question growing up. I didn't want to say anything about it because I knew the responses I would get. So I wouldn't have to deal with it or I wouldn't have other people perceiving me as so-called that black person out of it and realized, you know what, if I'm not, not going to be happy this way and I'm not going to be happy that way, the road where I could possibly lead to me being, being happy in the end game. Wow. Um, so who told you, like, why are you being this way? Who told you you were overreacting? Was this in high school? Uh, I think you said it was yeah. in your childhood as well, but was it your, your principal told you you were overreacting? was actually students and friends and peers. Okay, so they were shaming you for uh, standing up for yourself and for having a problem with the way they were behaving towards you. Yeah. So you tried to and establish was, boundaries and they didn't want to respect that. And it was very much in a form of gaslighting. So it's like, I would fall for it sometimes because it's like, I wouldn't notice it. I'd be like, oh, well, maybe they're agreeing with them. Maybe it's just me. And then it's like, as I grew up, I realized, I was like, no, it's not something seriously wrong with this. Well, I want to say before Sally asks her next question, that I mean, that's really brave of you. And that's really commendable, especially, you know, standing up for yourself, for one. But, you know, knowing that a sibling of yours is entering high school and wanting her to have different experiences, that's, that's really touching. And, uh, you know... That makes you a really brave and strong person. Thank you. I can, um, sorry, I can, I can relate. <laughs> I can relate to what you're saying. It really echoes. It really resonates because as a parent, um, you see them going off to school and it's, it's literally your fear. And I, I'm not biracial, but I am, um, I was the daughter of immigrants and, you know, that, that you look dirty, pubic hair head, all, all the names you, you, you think of as a child come up and it, it kind of gaslights you and prepare for this culture of being gaslit for a long term. So kudos to you for, you know, making that choice to live authentically, essentially, and, and really bring it to the forefront, that anti-racism movement for yourself, but also for others. Um, how do you feel the 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 district the um, administration the teachers like how was their interaction in all of this do they witness these incidents when they occur and when they do what type of support do they provide um have they been working with you through all of this i know part of the answer but i don't know all of it so i'm interested to know i think the first time i really stood up for myself was because i didn't get the response i was expecting it was more of at first, he's a supply, because I remember I was told in class, I didn't know who Usain Bolt was like into sports and watching them. And he, I remember he told me, he's like, like, how can you call yourself Jamaican? And to me, that was just, it was a red flag. I was like, or, or like he'd ignore me and raise. Sometimes he'd answer, sometimes he wouldn't. And 
I would told I was told by teachers it's like oh, oh we'll see him again it's fine and that really made me feel it's like a safe environment here if I can't get help with these issues but when I went to my principal it was complete and he completely understood and, and actually brought it up to the district and and there has now been some that supply. Because it wasn't the, the only district done. And how, what was the district's involvement in all this? And, and what did the principal do? And now he, ha if I'm not mistaken, I might not be 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure now when he teacher attend with, with him to make sure that he's not saying something that's out of line. Do you feel they are being wow. at least given some education in this aspect, or are they just policing the behavior of the teachers? I feel like it's becoming policing for a while. It's like a lot of the, the right understandings, like even within just classes where they teach about racism. I remember as a kid because you weren't learning the history, you weren't teaching them the history that you were learning was the students so it's like you're putting this fish tank where it's like everything's about you everyone about they ask you questions about your experiences and never really teach you so it's like teachers didn't really have that understanding and it's like they but i feel like ever since i've actually tried to make a stand and to make a change they're also trying to make it as i'm letting them know these, these things it's like they're realizing it's not okay like even I've noticed classes of black history it's it's not like that anymore it's because I've talked to them and it makes me so happy to actually see that something I've done is making a difference even my school I hope hope that someday it will be more schools than just my school because we'll die like that Absolutely. So can you can you go into a little bit more detail about, so did you say that this year for Black History Month that the content felt different than previous years? Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, because last year anything for Black History Month at our school, but within this year, since talking to them, we've had exhibit that showed Black excellence and the history within it. We actually had Matthew give a presentation on what it's actually like and why you can't say certain day, which helped a lot. And they're actually hoping to do a part two of it on how to fix. It. So it's like to see that that people are actually trying to help me make this change. It's like for me, it's like it feels good to know that I'm not alone. That's amazing, uh, especially because you said you. Uh, did you say Matthew Martin, first of all? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's been on the show a bunch of times as well. Um, yeah, I talked to him about that. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that must be a really warm feeling for you. I mean, you're a young person who has clearly been felt the call to get into activism work. Uh, and already in such a short time, like, your your bravery your words your stance your your speaking out uh, it feels like it's making change in, in your school and uh you know we don't have the data on whether this is happening all across the board and uh, i know myself and hillary we've been uh, working with the new brunswick education department to help um 
put more like black curriculum not just black history but joy and accomplishments and excellence like you were saying into the schools um and so it's just just hearing you talk about the warm feeling you get that makes i think makes us all feel feel warm as well uh, especially because you said that um you said you know something that was really sad and i think a lot of us can relate to that but you felt that not a lot of people And we lost Clinton. That's okay, because I'm here oh. to fill the drowned silence. <laughs> um, you said a lot of um, incredibly important things. Um, and I think that you really demonstrated uh, an independent courage because you really started this movement, I would say, pretty solo, if not with a small group of people, correct? Yeah, it started out with a to my step-siblings mom and they brought the idea maybe I should speak up and that they'd always have my back for it and then I told my mom and she told me that like I had that and then there was of course you Sally who honestly gave me or had to have that confidence to be able to actually do that amazing um go ahead Sally no, you were in the middle of a thought, Clinton, and I filled the void when you vanished. I was just kind of talking. I was basically saying, like, I mean, you, you mentioned, well, I, this, it's a talk show. Uh, you mentioned that you, you didn't feel like a lot of people had your back growing up. And I, I think you must mean in terms of coming to your aid in terms of, maybe you mean a broader spectrum, but you mean in terms of coming to your aid in sort, sort of racism uh, or stuff like that. Um, even me, I'm a lot older than you, and even growing up in Toronto, which is a very multicultural city, uh, I often felt, um, you know, unheard or ununderstood and stuff like that. Man, my camera's not working very well today. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Yeah. Okay, well, it always freezes at the worst possible frame. Um, all in all, just to say that uh, you probably didn't grow up uh, around a lot of multicultural people. I didn't, the only was my dad and he lived in Toronto, so it was kind of hard to kind of get understanding. Like my mom tried the best she could and she did amazing at it and trying to do everything, but it, like, like, I guess it's not the same. I never really, really got that relationship with other peers growing up because it, it is very white-based and monked and you yeah, and I mean, that's uh, another reason I wanted to, I mean, it's by coincidence because Hillary was is suffering a migraine right now, which is horrible. But, um, you know, Sally's family is from North Africa, and, and I, I know that she grew up uh, in Moncton as well, in the French system, as being the only one of her kind as well. You know, curly hair, uh, speaking uh, Arabic, sounding different, looking different, and she had a really rough run as well um so you two really share that in common um like i can't say that i grew up in moncton uh, but I, i've heard the horror stories and for as bad as the things that happen nowadays in moncton I, I think it was a lot worse 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago so you two share that kinship and um i guess you and sally went to bernice mcnaughton to try to talk to the school to try to get uh, like some anti-racism training because you were just fed up, and I'm sure you have other 
um i i get what you were saying like your friends gaslight you you're the only one that looks like you so it's hard and you're just like oh maybe i'm overreacting or you just want to fit in right because we all just want to fit in so you let it go but then eventually you really start to realize like this is not okay i've got siblings coming up i don't want them to to deal with this and question their own sanity as to whether or not this kind of stuff is okay you just want change so can you tell us about like how did that happen like what you guys you went to this i don't i don't know the details of i know that it happened but i don't know the details of how it started and how it happened uh, uh it started i remember i was just sitting in class one day and i got felt really fed up with everything that was going on i don't even know why because there wasn't a reason it occurred to me that made me feel that way but it's like, like just everything within my life. it's like i was over it and my my sister had told me a few days before that, that someone's so, so I made an appointment with the principal. I remember when I got called up, I was horrified. Like, I don't think words could explain. Like, I felt like, like I almost, it was scary. But it's like, as I started talking to him about it, it's like I got more because I realized, and I wasn't like, I wasn't nice about it. I'll be honest, I was very cutthroat and got to the point because I'm not going to dance around the fact that going around at my school, there was it's like, it is what it is, it happens, but, it, and I'm not going to try to make people comfortable with it because everyone is too comfortable. Absolutely. And nor should you tone police yourself. Um, I yeah. think as racialized minorities, especially our children, are expected to tone police themselves. And I kind of wear the badge of angry brown woman quite proudly myself <laughs> because I've become so cutthroat over the years uh, and I can understand and relate to that. Um, I, I really am appreciative that you were received with open arms. Um, I hope that the administration has found and invested in a good uh, anti-racism program, uh, ideally presented by a racialized individual from a racialized um, organization. Um, but do you, do you feel that what they are doing is adequate? Do you feel like it's not just the voice of children? Because I remember one distinct conversation that I had with your principal uh, was that this shouldn't be the job of young people and children. We, we made this mess. And mm -hmm. so we should be actively engaging in, in fixing it. And unfortunately we are putting children and young adults in the situation where they have to come forward. And instead of, you know, having a normal 17, 18 year old life of having to worry about your studies and your grades and your social life, you also have that other chapter of worrying how the professionals you are dealing with are going to, um, treat you based on their misperceptions, misconceptions, you know, assumptions, um, and, and quite frankly, our own, our own fears, really. Um, we like to, and, and it has to do a lot with that gaslighting where individuals essentially gaslight and it isn't intentional and it isn't malicious and, and we're trying to be kind. So I like the fact that you mentioned that cutthroat part, we're trying to be kind in addressing with this, um, but at one point, that that kindness becomes us tone policing ourselves, and so I'm really proud of you of stepping forward and being like, no, I just I decided that I'm just going to be cutthroat about it, 
Um, and and what what do you wish, you know, if, if anybody from the district is listening today, if anybody from the school systems is listening, if any teachers from any school is listening today, um, anybody who works with children, what is really the best way that you can be supportive? What do you need from them? And, and, and what do you feel they could do differently? I need them to like, just taking that, that time to educate all these students and what, even if you don't want to teach it, there's some really, really great movies out there that explain it really well. I thought it was quite interesting. It really showed many different ways you can do to show people and give them that proper understanding of behind the word is first off and what actually happened. Because a lot of these teenagers who are going off don't have that understanding. Like they have a basic understanding to know why it's completely wrong. Because I find myself having to educate more why it's not okay because they haven't got that education and it's not fair because it's like a broken record. I have to keep repeating myself when I shouldn't have to because this is something that adults should be And it's like, it's the same thing as I used to tone police all the time because growing up, it's like I was horrified of adults and like assuming things about me. So I would try to be the most perfect person you could see like fake because it's like I always seemed happy gleeful like, like I could never do anything I could never be, be sad because e I was even that way with parents because it's like I had this huge fear assumptions would take over and they would just assume I'm black as that because that's happened before like I had a friend and her dad was like she seems like a bad didn't even know me so it's like that made me feel like I had to tone year. I, I was like, all right, I got to stop this because I'm not happy here now that I'm not doing it because I realized, you know what, it's what they want, but it's like, I need to learn to love myself and be happy with that. And if I'm, because I don't have to be friends with them. Yeah. It's absolutely true. I, I haven't heard that t term a lot, tone police. Uh, um, it, it sounds a little bit like, in some cases, similar to like code switching. Yeah, that's what it is. Where you... Uh, it's it more than that. on the context, right? It's, it's being forced to water down emotions uh, and water down a reaction for the comfort of the people around you. And so when you are being tone policed, you are expected to basically hold back your reaction um, and even discredit your own, you know, the pro the problem you are a victim of, in order to just make everything more comfortable for for your surrounding people. Um, that's that's really the result of tone policing. Okay, that makes sense. Like, so mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm half white, and Akilah, I know you're half white, but it also sounds like it's you know, tone policing is taking into consideration the fear of white fragility, the fear of uh, how white people might react around you. And I mean, yeah, that's the code switching thing too. And I think mm -hmm. everyone has this innate desire, but I know myself growing up, um, you know, I've always, I do, I do like to be nice. I like to be friendly. I like to make people smile. I like to um, 
brighten someone's day. But I've also realized through my life that uh, for a lot of my life, I've felt a need to do to be extra, to be extra kind, to be extra yeah. polite, to be extra proper for fear, uh, which I didn't realize in my younger years, but for fear of someone applying their negative bias towards me, for fear of someone deciding I fit a certain stereotype, whereas someone with lighter skin could get away with not being so polite and given the same respect. I always felt like I had to be a certain way because I because I did, because, um, because if I wasn't, then I would be judged more harshly than I others and it's when we do this show it's just always interesting to connect with people of color who have had all the who have, haven't really ever met each other but have all had the the exact same experiences so like that's really touching and it seems like even at um the age of 17 you you've already learned about yourself that you don't have to be all those things you can set boundaries you can cut off friends yeah. you don't have to compromise your happiness or your sense of peace or safety for that uh, that must be quite liberating um do you have you've lost some friends so um, my question is like have you made new friends have you found kinship in like other people have you felt like uh you've made activist friends or are you building your own little group of people who speak out or do you still feel like you're all on your own a lot of the time i feel like i'm on my own it's like i do realize my friends will all, a lot of my friends will support me with it but i don't know which sucks but I get it. I can completely understand that. It's rough. Well, you're, but I mean, you're still, obviously you're very brave because you're, you're coming on the show here and you're still speaking your truth regardless of what people think. Um, and that's, that's going to benefit you <laughs> a lot uh, down the road. Um, <clears throat> what do you see like for the future of kids like us, uh, people of color, black kids what just fell on my head <laughs> clinton just got assaulted by a birthday decoration i'm sure for all of our viewers random. watching is that a sign from okay i don't know yeah so that's uh, our kids birthday decorations just fell on my head comedy moment for the viewers um so you've it's been a better year in terms of there's been some sensitivity training. There's been more um, Black history awareness. Uh, the teachers and the principals seem to be making an effort to be more mindful. Yeah. Um, you know, where do you see things going in the next few years? Do you think things I are going to Being a healthy community for everyone, where they don't think of color as color, it's like everyone's the same and you don't have to wear thing or acting differently or around certain people. Like you could just be students feel comfortable enough to be themselves without having that fear. Yeah, that would certainly be um, a beautiful future. Um, how many of, like, I don't know if you know a lot of kids from other high schools, but how many like, people of color are in your school? Do you even know? I have Approximately. No Approximately? There's more this year, maybe 20, 20, 25, maybe. Wow, that's a lower, that's a lot less Could than I more. assumed. 
It could okay. be more. I might be wrong. It's just a lot of the times that's hard for me to notice because the whole speaking just black, black people wise, probably okay. like 20, 25. But, but okay. other colors now than there was. Okay. What's yeah. the school population? Roughly eight, eight, nine hundred. I have no clue. Okay. Say that again. If I knew, I'd let you know. <laughs> no worries. We will update well, the listeners later. Our daughter, my daughter, and Sally's stepdaughter actually went to Bernice McNaughton um, between uh, twenty or twenty thirteen to twenty seventeen, and uh, so she's she's half Filipino, a quarter black, and a quarter white, and. Her experience was that she says she didn't experience uh, racism during the year she was there, but uh, but I don't know. I mean, I I think I've, I've I saw a little bit of racism at one point against a, an Asian gentleman when I was around some of her friends, and it was all in in fun and gesture and and this that or the other. But uh, I mean, they're making fun of his eyes, I believe. And uh, again, what what I think was really happening, and I, I don't want to speak for my daughter, but possibly kind of what you described, right? You just want to they say they're joking. They say they don't mean it. It's all in good fun. It's all in jest. But uh, at the same time, it's kind of not. Um, I don't know, Sally. You went to school in Moncton in high school. You went to a few different high schools. Um, went to one high school, but I went to every middle school and every elementary school. Okay. Like, um, I also spent half my high school in overseas. And that's why I only went to one high school in Moncton. There was only one French high school when I went to high school in Moncton. Um, I would say that uh, I've had the conversation with our, our daughter. And uh, she's mentioned, you know, when I look back at certain things now, I realize that they were racist. Um, wow. Whether it was, you know, tone policing or a little joke or uh, a, a different treatment. Um, it's, this is where the term microaggression comes from. It's when people do something very subtle that makes the person in front of them, you know, feel obligated to tone police themselves, um, but inside is feeling suffering of some sort, whether it's embarrassment or fear or shame or pain. And I think I've, I've experienced kind of myself, I've experienced very low on the scale, which is, you know, the, the microaggressions to very high on the scale, which was the racialized violence and assaults. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting to me when you when you point out, you know, at one point you even talked about, you know, when they belittle you, it's not that bad. I'm sure we hear the other examples of so-and-so's got it bad too because they're poor, yeah. so-and-so. And and it's kind of almost like a let's one-up each other to see who's suffering the most when really we're missing the boat entirely. The, the, the goal here is not to see who's got the most suffering going on and we celebrate the winner because there's really no winning in this situation. I think it's really more about minimizing the suffering universally. And it's it's just generally understanding each other. And I think if, if I'm understanding correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Akila Ray, um, my understanding of your goal is that you just want a general understanding and normalcy to just make the environment generally comfortable, not just for yourself, but for everybody and yourself, but most importantly, yourself and people like you included. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where you're trying to bring the conversation is that, yes, it's important for everyone to feel comfortable, but it is important for me to feel comfortable too. And anybody who looks like me, who speaks like me, who's like, who, who sounds like me, who moves like me, whatever it is, 
is treated, you know, with, with basic dignity and respect and no suffering. Yeah. Um, and and is that kind of what the goal is? Yeah, that's the goal. I'm kind of paraphrasing what you've said. I hope you don't mind. Yeah. No, no. And no, no, it's all good. <laughs> what to you? What to you is going to be the moment where you're going to be like, okay, I, I've checkmarked my goal. I've accomplished what I'm trying to do. What I've set out to do out there. When I start seeing white people are star, they start stop saying basically when they start speaking up when they hear it. When racist jokes hey, and, and other people speak up for it and it's not just, oh, look, it's fine when people actually start realizing and standing up for it, not only stand up for it, but even white people who see it and notice it also start speaking up. That's really well said. I mean, that's the goal, because like you said earlier, um, it's not your job to educate white teachers and white principals and how not to be racist. It's, it's their job. It's their job to teach you guys how to not do that. And, you know, it's not your job. It's not my job. It's not Sally's job to fix a problem here in this country. Correction. None of us were responsible. I for teach it for a living. <laughs> Minor correction. Right. But because you feel you because you have to right it's, it shouldn't should i say it shouldn't be your job it, it shouldn't be anyone's job to teach uh adults how to treat each other equitable you know um when do you graduate akila ray in 2024 okay uh you were talking to matthew martin did he encourage you to get into activism or anything or 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 works or, or were you responsible for him coming go ahead i'm coming yes because i told this school i was like it was my idea to actually have someone come and speak originally but there was a lot going on with that and there was trouble apparently so, so and, and they let me wear a week before so they gave me notice so i wanted a guest speaker to come in because having just the teachers it's not was not enough for me. I needed the students to also have that understanding. Were there any conversations that took place among the students? Were there any insights, change of thought, change of mind? Has anyone ever Apologies. apologized to you for anything? <laughs> no one's apologized. Like, like, I haven't had someone come up. Like, I've had people now that are more conscious with what they say. Is that something they say? Say slightly wrong, they'll like backtrack and apologize that way, but not okay. like and apologize for the past. But it's so, a start. So that's something. Yeah, exactly. My gosh, I I've never had a worse camera episode ever. Uh, I think I'm it's frozen. frozen beautifully right I, I now. I think I look drunk. Okay. Um, <laughs> any uh, before I plug out my camera again, and feel free to laugh at my my screenshot here. Um, <laughs> This is how I look late at night. Um, no, <laughs> you don't need to have this in your plans. But are you, are you inspired or motivated to to get into this kind of work, or is this just something you're doing okay. for high school because you want? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I actually talked to Matthew Martin, and I was so I was asked to become a part of what he does because I'm so fascinated 
change. And it's like, I want to be someone who does that. It's like, they inspire me. People like what you guys does, it like inspires me. And it's like, I want to be like that. I want to help make that change. Well, can I tell you something? Yeah. You're already doing it. Yeah. I was going to say too late. <laughs> you did. You're definitely a change maker, Akila Ray, and uh, you've got an early start. And um, whatever you choose to do, whether it's this work or something else, um, like I said at the very beginning, you're clearly very brave, uh, very outspoken. Um, it takes a certain kind of person, person to to look around them and see that things aren't right and actually say something, because uh, it's so much easier to just try to fit in with the mold. Yeah. Um, so from now on, you know, maybe don't say that you want to do this. Maybe say that you want to continue doing this, right? Because you are doing it. You have made change. You've used your voice. You have approached adults and said, look, what's happening here doesn't feel right. And it, it's not right. And I don't want younger kids who aren't even at this school yet to come here and experience the kind of feelings that I have. Yeah. Um, so you're certainly a change maker, Akilah Ray, and uh, I hope you get involved with, um, you know, Black Lives Matter New Brunswick. Uh, we'd love to have you more involved. I'm sure you're very busy, but if there's any way you want to contribute to or be involved with what we're doing here, um, we would love to have hear your voice. Um, although, for the listeners, I hope it's not too choppy. I've been able to understand everything you're saying, but the audio is a bit choppy. Uh, you have a strong voice, and I, I really hope you continue to use it. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any... any oh, absolutely. Um, you know, what kind of thoughts do you want to leave our listeners with? You are certainly the youngest guest uh, we've ever had on the show, which is incredible, uh, because you're the future. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people say a lot of negative things about kids these days and you know i think everyone anyone who says anything negative about kids cannot be more wrong um kids you know while they might not have as many life skills or experiences or context you you, you guys have access I'm, and i'm sorry when i say kid i mean a young adult like you're you're not a kid okay i just hope you don't take that the wrong way um you just no, have no, access okay. to the whole world at your fingertips and all t at all times. And for the good and for the bad, you're exposed to the whole world at a very young age. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah. older people, we didn't we didn't get that access to information like you do. So you guys just know so much. And I really, um, when I talk to people, like I'm really hopeful for the future. And that's, that's exactly why I do what I want to do. I, I want to make a better world for the people that come after me. Um, we could probably talk to you for another hour, but we try to keep these episodes like 45, 50 minutes. Um, and we hope that the people get to hear from you and see you more in the future. Well, we know they will. We hope that they get to hear from you and see you more here. Um, what kind of message do you want to put out there to, to anyone who may be listening? That you're never too young to start making. Whether you are in middle school, pre-K, high school, you're never too young. It's never too late to start making change. The change can you just have to want to make it. Very, very inspiring words. Very well said. Um, well, 
like I always say to uh, anyone who's gotten through to the end of the episode, you're, you're a real trooper. Thank you for listening in. Uh, we definitely have our, our core group of weekly listeners that we're super appreciative. Um, usually we ask where people can find our guests if they want to get in touch. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think you maintain like a, a page or an act, a activist page or, or anything like that yet but possibly with your friends that that's something that might be down the road um sally do you want to oh go ahead yeah please go ahead no needs to get a hold of me you can say that again you can always put my instagram if someone needs to get a hold of me or okay absolutely uh you can plug it yourself if you like uh i cannot for the life of me but (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll pl- Maybe we can plug it in the comments. We'll, yeah, we'll tag yeah. you. We'll tag you on the. Post. While Clinton has another beautiful frozen face. It's better than the last one, uh, and this is you know mo- most of our listeners listening to the audio. Thankfully, thank God. <laughs> but uh, we're trying to build our YouTube, and this is not helping. Um, <laughs> but Sally, Sally, where can people like find you? Like, uh, you know, we'd like one day we'll, we'll hopefully get your podcast and such on, on our pages as well. But where can people listen to um, your podcast or, or get involved with what you're doing? Well, uh, we have another podcast coming out calling the Tribalist Outcast. Um, that should be releasing soon. But for We Can Fight Like Cats if we have to, you can find us on all podcast streaming services, um, as well as we do have a Facebook page. And uh, we also have a Facebook page for the Human um, Voice Foundation as well. So if you or someone you know um, would like to learn about anti-racism, would be interested in courses, would be interested in support, um, have been a victim of, you can reach out to us that way. Um, Or if you want to work with us, like we have, uh, we have opportunities as well in there. So yeah, you can reach out to us any way you like on any of the social media platforms. Okay, perfect, perfect, thank you. And uh, Hillary usually does this closing part better than me, but I'm going to try my best. Uh, I hope everyone has had uh, you know, a good Black History Month. There's certainly been a lot of content uh, put out among a lot of different organizations throughout the Maritimes here, uh, ourselves as well. We've been on CBC a number of times, did something with Rogers TV. Um, depending on when this airs tomorrow, um, if anyone's listening to this Thursday afternoon on the 23rd, I'm doing a talk with Prude Incorporated tonight on best practices for people of color in business. Um, but yeah, it's Hillary, we miss you. Get better, feel better. We'll see you again next week. But you can find Hillary at Cropberry. Uh, myself, I'm Clinton Davis. And you can listen to Black Atlantic on all streaming platforms, uh, if, uh, Spotify, Apple, and all the other good ones on YouTube and stuff like that. For the first week ever, we've got our QR code up here. If you want to support the work that we're doing, go to our GoFundMe page to to help um, check us out. Your donations have helped get things like cameras and the streaming service, our website, um, uh, as well as a number of other initiatives. Um, We've been able to pay some of our bloggers, which has been really amazing. what am I forgetting? I'm probably forgetting a bunch of stuff. Check us out at blackatlantic.ca, where this episode will be. And... Yeah, I'm forgetting a really big thing, but that is okay. I'll probably just play the outro. Definitely forgetting something, but uh, 
most important thing is um, Black Klanik. And once again, this is Akila Ray, a 17-year-old change-making activist from Moncton, New Brunswick, who has a very bright future. And we just can't wait to see like the, the things she's con- going to continue to do uh, when she gets out of, well, while she's in high school and when she gets out of high school. Um, what you've already done in, in the past year is incredible. We commend you. Uh, we applaud you. And uh, you have made a change. Like the fact that you have teachers and uh, um, principals and even students around you being more cautious of the way they speak, it's all about a trickle effect, right? Anything you do to move the bar towards equality as opposed to away from it is making change. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And uh it is our hope that the listeners and viewers and readers hear more from you in the future. So from all of us, thanks. Have a good night. Good night. Take care. Bye, Keila Ray. Thank you. Bye.